Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Good morning, everybody. Good to uh, be with you this morning. Um, yeah, that's the song we just finished singing. That's the, one of the ones that Ann and I will have a conversation with oftentimes, and she'll say, I, I can't sing that song. That's a really hard song to sing, um, to literally put yourself in such a place where you, you say, here I am, God, whatever you want. Um, refine me in the way that you want to refine me. That's, yeah, as Christina prayed, that's, those are hard words. Um, this morning, I want to share with you as we continue in our series on identity. Uh, this is one of the topics within this conversation around identity that I really feel like we need to have, and uh, we touched on it somewhat a little bit last week when, when Mark was here, but I want to kind of go deeper into it this morning. Um, and this, this is also one of those topics that if you've grown up in the church, um, and probably a traditional, mainly traditional churches, but all kinds of churches. What I'm going to say this morning to you is going to sound perhaps contradictory to what you've heard for a while. Um, and, not, and I'm not trying to do that on purpose. What I want to do is look at God's Word and, and see what God's Word has to say about us. But it's been so ingrained within the church culture, a certain perspective of who we are, that I would say is just not correct. And what I want to do is I want to challenge that perspective, because that perspective we hold changes how we do things, changes how we see ourselves, it changes how we respond and see God, um, it changes how we allow God to use us. Um, even this week, I was, I was working out with a friend, and, and he was sharing with me that uh, he grew up in a, in a Lutheran church. And again, nothing wrong with Lutheran churches, mainline denominations. I mean, that's what, what it was forever and ever um, before non-denominational churches came on the scene. Um, but he said, he was like, I was standing in my home with my parents who I went to church with. And we were wrestling through like this whole how we view ourselves as, as followers of Jesus. Like having a negative view of ourselves as followers of Jesus. And then, then I love it. He went on to say like, and then I had a you know, a core group meeting at my house, and I was trying to, to challenge the men who I was with to, to see themselves in, in an encouraging light of how they, the very thing he struggled with, he was trying to encourage them to not struggle with um, as well. But it's, it's been so ingrained in us, and, and I think I have a, a little bit of an understanding as to why, not fully, but um, let me kind of paint that picture for, picture for you. If the enemy can't stop you from giving your life to Christ... He wants to stop you from being used by Christ. And what I want to talk about this morning is is what's going on in the the perpetuated belief that the church has been kind of propagating for for hundreds and hundreds of years that is keeping us from being used by Christ. Often I'll have conversations with people, and it'll probably be around struggles or things that aren't going well. And whether in their own lives or in the lives of maybe family members or friends or whatever it is, but eventually I hear this line 
that will come out at some point and the, the line is said to like justify the wrong that's been done or the struggle that the person has been in, if, you, if that makes sense. And they'll say this at the end. Well, pastor, we're all just sinners saved by grace. And I, what I want to tell you is that not, that is not true. It's not true. As followers of Jesus, that is not our primary identity. We are not just sinners saved by grace. And again, people are going to misunderstand what I have to say this morning, and I understand that, but I think it's worth it. And some of you might get really pissed, and that's also worth it. Um, but this is a conversation we need to have, and if we, if we can't embrace the truth of, of what God says about us in our identity and our walk with God as followers of Jesus. Again, I'm talking about followers of Jesus here, those who have given their life to Christ. Okay? We can talk about those who haven't. That's a different discussion. But I'm talking about you as followers of Jesus this morning. We need to take in the truth of who we are. And we need to stop fighting against ourselves within, that internal battle within that has become such a distraction that we render ourselves useless in the advancement of the kingdom. Because we are literally chasing our tails in how we view ourselves. I would propose that a more accurate way to say it is not that you are a sinner saved by grace, but you are a son or a daughter that has been redeemed. Do you see the difference between the two? There's a major difference. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 says this, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. In this verse, and I'll leave it up here, Peter, a follower of Jesus, who struggled mightily in so many ways, blew it time and time again, is saying to the church, be holy like God. Why would Peter say these words if it wasn't possible to do? I don't think Peter is speaking metaphorically here to the church. I think he is literally saying, we need, as followers of Jesus, to be like God is. Holy. Set apart. Sacred. In what we do. How we act. And how we live our lives. And whenever the scripture, and this is not the only place the scriptures tell us to do this, but whenever the scriptures speak to the believer and say, be holy like God, we are being reminded of our true identity of who we truly are and what we are truly capable of. But time and time again, we, we believe the lie that our main identity is that we are a sinner who, happens, who just happens to be saved by grace. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying that's not the main truth. But when you make that the main truth, it becomes the thing you focus on. In other words, somebody said it this way. If you start with a problem, that's usually where you'll end with the problem. But if you start with the answer and realize that answer, that answer will take you through the problem to the other side of the problem so that you can get beyond that problem, which is what we've called to become and to be. But if all we ever do is stare at what the problem is, that we will literally live ourselves into the problem that we stare into. And we've done it for hundreds and hundreds of years. And we've inherited this theology 
it's been given to us, passed down from generation to generation to generation. What I'm saying here this morning is if we want to live healthy lives as followers of Jesus, it has to stop. We have to cut it off. We have to see it in a new way. And I'm not saying, I'm, all I'm going to do this morning is open up the scriptures and read to you what God says is true of you. This is not Jimmy coming up with some new concept. This is literally what God's word says. Because if we look back at what the original followers of Jesus believed about themselves, it's radically different from what we believe about ourselves today. It just is. You don't have what happens in Acts 2, 3, and 4 without people seeing themselves as they truly are. But we have to get over this mentality that we've inherited. Paul talks about it in this way in Ephesians 2.15 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. And you've probably heard these verses time and time again. He says, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Talking about Jesus. Create a new humanity in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. New creation, new identity, new humanity to be created. In juxtaposition to an old thing. There was an old, and what they're saying is now there's something new that's come. And what's really fascinating about the 2 Corinthians 5.17 verse is if he says, so anyone in Christ, anyone who's given their life to Christ, all those, all, I mean, I love hearing stories of college students giving their life to Christ. I, I just have this huge heart for college students. But when, those, when, when Brad and Jason talked about those students, this is what was happening to them in that moment. And it's what happened to us. And it's happened, it's an ongoing thing, but it says this, a new creation has come. This is not God making us to be like Adam and Eve in the garden. This is literally God creating us into something that has never before existed. The Greek word for new creation is actually where we get our word prototype from. In other words, something like it has never existed before. Jesus is the best embodied model of what that looked like and the purpose behind it. But again, in order to embrace this, our main identity as a sinner saved by grace has to be transformed and changed. That can't be the main thing. Because here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. And this is, some of you are going to be like, what did you just say? For us as followers of Jesus, the problem is no longer sin. Because sin has been taken care of. The problem is our mentality around sin and how we see and understand it. I remember 12 years ago, sitting in this building, um, Pastor Don was preaching, and he gave a message basically on that, where he said, look, sin's not the problem, it's been taken care of at the cross. And I went home as somebody who's been to Bible college and seminary, and I sat there, I was like, is that true? Is that true? Because it was like shocking. And I remember most of the time, that Sunday morning when he was preaching, it was like this. It was silent. <laughs> People were so quiet because they were shocked. And I, was, and, I, and I sat there with it. And the longer I sat there with it, I was like, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Sin is not the problem. Over and over and over again, it said... It's been dealt with. It's been taken care of. And yet we come back to it over and over again as our main excuse and identification marker of who we see ourselves as when the scripture says that's not true of you anymore. So this is what we're going to do. Get your Bibles out. See it for yourself. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be. 
And what I want to do this morning is I want you to join me and we're going to read this together because I want you to speak these words out loud. And so what I did is, is I bolded the sections that I want you to read with me. So I'm going to read what's not bolded. And then when I get to the bolded sections, I want each and every one of you in here out loud to speak it with me as we go. And the, and the farther we go into Romans 6, um, the more we're going to read. We're going to pretty much read the entire chapter of Romans 6. Because I want to hammer home the truth of what God says is true of you this morning. And I don't want any of you to leave here not knowing what is true. You may leave here disagreeing with it. That's okay. But you won't be able to leave here thinking and understanding that what, you, what and how you used to think is true anymore. Because it's not. And I think that one of, the, one of the, uh, the main plans of the enemy is to keep us in this isolated, secluded place of, with untrue doctrine. And we just keep, it's like a hamster wheel over and over again. And it affects us way beyond we could, anything we can possibly imagine. And so I want to break that. I can't do anything. I would love to see God break that in us as a church community this morning. That's my prayer. Okay, Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Again, join me with the uh, bold statements. By no means we are those who have died to sin. Who can, how can we live in it any longer? So Paul's teaching to the church in, in Rome. And apparently they needed to hear the fact that they were dead to sin. Because, and I haven't verified this myself, but... It, but I've seen it enough times that I think it's, it's absolutely true. Um, apparently in the book of Romans, Paul says 44 times that we are dead. 44 times. That we're dead, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead. Times 10 plus 4. That's a lot of times. Whenever anything is mentioned in the scriptures once, we should pay attention to it because it's God's word. When it's mentioned twice, we should stop whatever we're doing and sit in that and read it multiple times. But 44 times, because there's a struggle there. And I can't help but think that when the Holy Spirit guided Paul to write these words, he knew that the struggle would go on for generation after generation after generation, and we needed to be reminded of this. And so what in the world does Paul mean here when he says that we are dead to sin? I'll give you some examples. I put up, I read through several commentaries this week, really wrestling through this text. Number one, is this moral? That we're dead to sin in in morality. Okay? And the moral, in other words, we now have uh, the moral understanding about what sin is when we didn't have that before. Number two, is it literal? Literal. We are actually dead to sin, i.e. set free from sin. Number three, is it spiritual? It's exclusively how God sees us, but for the most part, our lives haven't changed at all. And uh, number, number four, is it future-oriented? True only when we die. When we die, we'll be set free from sin. And I heard another pastor say, one of those shocking statements, and I'll share it with you. He said, if you have a perpetual sin in your life, that you're, as a follower of Jesus, again, that's who I'm talking to this morning. If you're continually struggling with that thing over and over again, and the only way for you to be set free from that is death, then death is your savior, not Jesus. 
I know, right? That's pretty intense. But again, that's not what the scriptures say is true of us. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Again, join me with the bold statements, please. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has been set free from sin, died, has been set free from sin. Let's try that again. Verse 7, all together. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul talks about this likeness. And he says that there's a likeness between us and Christ in the area of the death and the resurrection. Okay, And again, a lot of this is mystery. I can't tell you how it all works, but I know that it works. It's like salvation. I can't tell you how exactly it all works on the spiritual level, but I can tell you that it works because I've experienced it firsthand and I've seen it transform the lives of people. And so he uses this Greek word that, that basically means likeness or, or, or uh, a recreation of, like similar in image. And he says that we have this likeness to Christ when it comes to Christ's death and resurrection. Do you know what's really fascinating is that same term is used in a different part of the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, when it says that God made us in his image and his likeness. So not only were we as human beings created in the image of God, of which we are, but those human beings who have connected themselves and had their eyes open to the truth of who Jesus is are also connected in the likeness of his death and his resurrection. In other words, we join Jesus in his death and in his resurrections when we give our lives to Christ. And when we do that, all of the benefits and the rewards of the death and the resurrection become ours. We inherit them. Because we are now tied to Christ in that way. We've tied ourselves. He did the work. We receive these benefits. Again, it's mystery. It's this mystical union and this connection that takes place, but it's absolutely true. And Paul's arguing that this dominion of sin has been broken in the life of the believer, and that we are called to walk in newness of life, and the mastery of sin has been shattered so that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. This is why our, our identity can't be that we're just sinners saved by grace. Because we're no longer slaves to sin. So that peace has actually been removed. Paul is likening our faith to a mystical connection with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And what does the death and resurrection of Jesus conquer? Sin and death. So let me lay it out for you. Book of Romans, this flow. Christ died to sin, yes? Okay. We, got, we need to say, let's try that again. Christ died to sin. Okay. If we can't, we got to like say time out and we need to preach a different sermon if we don't believe that this is true. The second thing, we died with Christ. We just read that, right? That's what God's word says. I'm not making this up. Therefore, we died to sin. 
Do you see the connection between it? So Christ died to sin. We died with Christ. Therefore, because of our connection with Christ, we have died to sin. Again, it's not that we've done something great or amazing. It's only that we have connected ourselves with the true truth of who God is through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, again, we connect ourselves. And Paul talks about this old self. This old self is identified here with Adam, the man of the old age. And Paul goes into this, I think, in Romans chapter 5. goes back and forth between the old Adam and the new Adam. And, and, the, and Adam, talking about the one in the garden, as a representation of humanity as a whole. Not just Adam in the garden, because it's not just exclusively Adam. But and then he talks about this new Adam who, who is Christ, who is Jesus, who is literally the very presence of God in humanity, in the person of Jesus. And that person was able to do what Adam and Eve were not able to do. And in that action, in his death and his resurrection, he reconciled the world to God. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, in the mystery of those things. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What I want to tell, you, tell us today and help us understand is the battlefield is not sin, it's the mind. It's the mentality, it's the mindset, it's how we see who we are, how we embrace the truth that is true of us. Something can be true and sit here and we could not interact with it whatsoever. And we could just let it be and never encounter it. That doesn't mean it's not true. It just means we don't encounter it. If, if it I'll give you an example. If at some point, Somebody wanted to create a, an account and put millions of dollars in it and say that that's for me. But if I never, if I, I just, I just, well, I'll give you an example. Um, every week I get an email that I've won something. It's amazing. I, I feel so special. You know, I get an email from Home Depot that I've won a washer and dryer. I get an email from Lowe's that I've won this. I get it and, and you know, surely all those must be true. But if, what, if one of those were true, and I deleted the email. It wouldn't stop being true. I'm sure if I showed up and said, here I am, here's my ID, where's my washer and dryer? If it were true, then I guess they would give me a washer and dryer and that'd be great. But if I never went and looked into it or checked into it or I never accessed this account that's made, been made available to me, it doesn't mean the account's not there and the truth's not relevant. It just means I'm not tapping into it. Does that make sense? And so I think that's true for a lot of us as, as followers of Jesus. Because again, the sin part has been conquered. It's been done. Jesus did it. If we're running around still trying to do it, we're trying to do it on our own, which we could never do. And that's a lot of what Paul goes into when he talks about the difference between law and grace. Because basically he's saying, hey, it's not possible to do that. And yet, how many of us still are, are trying to work at it in some way? as though we are not sealed in Christ. Verse 11 through 14, back to Romans. Please join me in reading. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. I know, it's so good, right? Like, I don't have to say anything, just read the text. But what is it that keeps us from believing? So he talks over and over again about being dead to sin. Dead to sin, dead to sin, dead to sin. Christ has died for us, and we receive the gift of his dying and are drawn into it. We take his death into our account by receiving the gift. It becomes a gift in which we get to participate. So why does Paul say, why does he ask the question, or why does he say, let us not let sin reign in your life? Again, going back to like what Peter said, be holy as God is holy. Why would Paul say, do not let sin reign in your life? Yeah, why would he say that? Why would he say that to us if it's not true? Or if it's not possible to be true? Why would, that would be a mean thing to say. It'd be cruel, actually. Because it would cause us to just be running around trying to do something we can't do. And we know that this is the word of God and so that, that it's true. And so if he is saying, don't let it rain in your life, then it can only mean one thing. That it doesn't have to rain in your life. Again, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done. That's the, the absolute crucial thing is, this is all about our relationship with Jesus. And so is everything else. Whatever, however we move, whatever we do, whatever God accomplishes to advance his kingdom, it's all God flowing through us anyway. This is no different. Literally, we take on or we inherit the truth of what this is. Because asking somebody who is in the world and doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and saying to them, stop sinning, it would be like me rowing a being in a boat, coming in the middle of the ocean, and coming across a person who was drowning because they were exhausted. And they had nothing left in themselves. And they could barely swim in the first place. And I would just say to them, it's okay, just swim to shore. You'll be fine. No, they're going to die because they can't make it on, possibly on their own. The only way that they're going to be okay is if I pull them into the boat and take them to shore. But if we have a relationship with Jesus, and through Jesus, sin and death have been conquered, then we too have the ability to no longer let sin be our master. But I don't think, as followers of Jesus in 2022, we think like that. We still have this old mentality that we're stuck in from the past. Paul says these words in Romans 12.1. He says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's not possible if sin is our master. We can't do that on our own. It's not even possible. 
Again, time and time again, we read these scripture passages that are literally impossible to do if, we're not, if we have not been set free from sin. But I would say that most of us don't live as though we are set free from sin. We live as though we are sinners saved by grace. And literally, that almost becomes an out for us, an excuse for us to continue to do what we're doing. Now, the question becomes, and, and this is the question I'd be asking if I was sitting there, why do we then continue to struggle with sin? If we've been set free from sin because of our relationship with Jesus, why then is there a perpetual struggle with sin in our lives? Yeah, I know, right? So next week we'll talk about why. Here's the answer. Because we choose. It's a choice. And some of you have been steeped in it for so long it no longer feels like a choice. But it's a choice. See, here's the truth. You have access to everything that you left behind still. That old self that Paul talks about is right behind you, waiting, crouching, wanting to draw you back in, wanting to convince you that you haven't changed, wanting to trick you into coming back. As I sat with this, the, the image that came back to me time and time again was when the Hebrews left Egypt. So you know the story, the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt. And when, when God brought them out through this miraculous way, showing his power and authority, and brought them into the desert, time and time again, so they were literally slaves. They spent their entire days, probably seven days a week, working for Pharaoh in a very cruel life that they lived. But it's what they knew. And God brought them out of that, literally set them free from that, provided for them everything that they needed, and was going, taking them through a process to teach them how to become who he wanted them to be, which is what we're going to talk about next Sunday. And time and time again, what did they say? Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. We st- we're the same. We struggle with that too. When we get into new situations, when we come upon new struggles, we, that old nature still exists. It's no longer our master. It no longer rules over us because when we weren't following Jesus, we didn't have a choice. We didn't have a choice. We were indentured to sin. Sin was our master. That's what we knew. But once we gave our life to Christ, that was broken. But just because the reality of it is that it is broken, our mindsets haven't been transformed to the reality that it is broken. And so we continually revert back to that, thinking that that old way is still the, is the new way and that we cannot escape it. But that is not true. Why? Because time and time again, we've been told, you're dead to sin. You're dead to sin. You're dead to sin. 44 times over. This is why. Over and over again. This is why we need to hear this over and over again. And so many of us have grown up with the fact of hearing something different. Oh, you're just a sinner. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know, but you're still just a sinner. No, no, I'm not. It's like when I think about this from a, from a parent's perspective, 
One of the best ways to understand God is, is if you, it's, it's easier if you have your own kids. But always, if you're ever struggling with theology, turn it into a parent-child relationship and see what happens. It's brilliant. It's like, wow, it's mind-blowing. But when I think to myself, all I want, one of the main things I want for my kids is for them to be able to see themselves the way I see them. As a father, that's, that's a heart cry, right? I want them to have a relationship with Jesus, yes. I want them to understand what, how God sees them and loves them, absolutely. But I also want them to, to see and understand how much I love them and how I see them, right? And I see how they struggle in their lives. And I see times when they don't <clears throat> see themselves in light of the way that I see them. And so my job is to step in and, and, and speak truth into their lives as their father. That's part of my job. How much more does God desire to do that for us? How much more? infinitely more. And when we, when we see ourselves exclusively in that place as sinner, if we define ourselves by Genesis 3 instead of Genesis 1, I think God is sitting there saying, why? Why? And it's not that the sin part is not true. It's still around. It's still here. We still struggle with it. Yes, absolutely. But it, it's not the main thing that should be defining us anymore. Again, it's not what God says is true of us. How do we begin to believe what God says is true of us? Here's, here's one of the challenges with, with those struggling in perpetual sin. The sin that we struggle with, we only struggle with because we give it power and authority over us. Again, it no longer has authority over us. That's been dealt with at the cross. It's been, it was broken and taken care of. But we, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, can give that over. We can give ourselves over to it anytime we want. That's free will. So although we are, it is true that we are loved and we are set free, and we have the capacity to live as Jesus lived, we can go back if we want to those old ways. And that's what Paul says. Stop doing that. Don't go back to those old ways. Take off that old self. Stop going back to that. Embrace the reality and the truth of what is true of you. Look in, move in that way. Will you still falter? Yes. Will you still sin? Yes. But what does God say? When you do that, confess your sins and I'll set you free again. And the problem is we get into these places where we think, and this is just self-righteousness. This is what the Pharisees did. We begin to sin or we fall down that path and we think, well, I don't want anybody to know because if I admit this, I I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but I'm struggling with with this or this or this. What will people think of me? And so we we retract away from our culture, not our culture, but our communities, the people who love us and the people around us. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. Isolate us and make us powerless. And time and time again in the scriptures, the invitation is, no, 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 no. I've already taken care of that. Step out. Bring it from the darkness into the light and you will be set free from it because you already have. And so the invitation for us is to realize and recognize where are we still allowing sin to manipulate us and control us? And and much of this doesn't have to do, do with the reality of the spiritual world. It has to do with what's going on in here. So that's why we need to get ourselves to a place where we realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, you don't control me anymore. That's been taken care of. Jesus took care of that. Holy Spirit, come and help me remember that this has been taken care of. And let me get, 
beyond my ego, beyond my self-righteousness, and let me put this out in the open so that I can, I can be set free of it. Because God, you've set me free of it. And I'm the only one getting in the way. It's not God that's getting in the way. It's not God that wants to keep you there. God wants the opposite. He wants his children to be set free. I'm going to skip to Romans 6, 20 through 23. Please, again, join me in reading it together. You were slaves to sin. You were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we have a relationship with Jesus, we have been set free from sin and death. Period. There's nothing you can do, there's no sin that you could commit that takes you out of that truth. It's not possible. I mean, literally, Paul at the end says in in Romans chapter 8, look, there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. And I would imagine the church in Rome must have done some, some pretty horrendous things for him to have to say those words. But we need to hear those words too. Because again, we believe the lie. And so we are being invited to change the way that we see and understand as we walk with God. The spiritual side has been taken care of. You've been renewed. That's what God's word says is true of you. You are a new creation. So what you need to do is to take the truth of what God says is true of you and step into the reality of what God has done for you and begin to have your mind transformed so that you begin to realize, I'm not stuck in this anymore. I've been set free. And that's the challenge that we'll live out for the rest of our lives. And I can tell you, the deeper that you embrace this truth and the longer that you walk in this this new reality, the easier it gets. And each time, it's a victory. And each time, it transforms you and it grows you. And each time, you wrestle through sin and and you have victory on the other side through Christ. You deepen in that. But we shouldn't, as followers of Jesus, be stuck in these perpetual sins that go on for years and years and years at a time. If that's the case, something's not right. Something needs to be worked on. Something needs to be broken in us. Because what the scriptures say is that that's no longer possible. A way has been made. However, God is in his love has said, I love you enough to give you the freedom to love me back. And in that freedom to love me back, you also have the propensity to turn around and go back to the old ways of being. Otherwise, we'd be robots. And it wouldn't be true love. And so we walk this edge. But we think we walk in the center with weights equal on both sides, but the weights aren't equal on both sides. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pray over one another. And I know this might be uncomfortable for some of you, and that's, that's okay. I recognize that. But what I want to do is I want to just invite us to pray for each other, the truths that we've heard this morning about the fact that we've been set free from sin. And so, Bridget, would you come up and, and just play in the background? This is kind of how we're going to close our time together. 
what I want you to do is I want, to, I want you to find somebody around you and just pray for them. Just pray over them the truth of God's word. Okay, if, you need, if you need help with that, get your Bible out, open up to Romans 6, pick something out of it, and just start reading it to them, if that's what you need to do. But just to find somebody and just to pray for them, that they would begin to realize that their eyes would be open to the truth of what God says is true of them. Their hearts would be softened. And if there's those who are here this morning that are still stuck in that, that place where you're still identifying yourself in light of your sin, and we just want to break that over you this morning. Because that's not from the Lord. God doesn't hold us down and keep us in those places of shame. That's not how God works. God is a God of love. God is a God of freedom. God brings renewal and new life. That's what we are being invited to experience. Okay? So in order to pray for somebody else, you actually have to do it. So find somebody around you. And I want to make sure everybody gets prayed for this morning. So if you see somebody on their own, please leave your seats, walk to some other side of the sanctuary. But we want to just pray for one another and pray specifically around helping them understand the truth that they have been set free from sin as a child of God. And if something comes forward that they share something they need prayed, prayed for, that's okay. Pray for that thing. Or if you have the courage to bring that up with the person around you of something you're struggling with, let that person pray for you around that thing too, around the sin in your life so that we can experience freedom in Christ. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the space that we've been given. Thank you for the truth of what has been spoken to us and over us that's been written thousands of years ago. Thank you for your love letter to us. May we embrace it. May our minds be transformed. May we live into this new reality. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.